Good morning. Let's stand together as we find our place. Sing out a great anthem to start our service, emphasizing the power of our mighty God. Behold our God.
Community groups meet in homes nearly every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. There will be a baby shower at the church for Emily Shung on Saturday, November 11th from 10 a.m. to noon. If you have any questions, please see Marsha Roach. We encourage everyone to come out and be a blessing to the Shung family as they welcome their new addition. In just a few minutes, we will be dismissing children four years through the third grade at the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you'd like to give financially, you can utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the tab at the top of the page. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you would like more information about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, fill out a connections card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's word this morning. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. We're really glad that you're here. We're looking forward to a good time of worship this morning as we praise our Savior, Jesus. Thanks for joining us, especially on Time Change Sunday, although I think we'll all agree this is the better one of the two. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that extra hour this morning, but I'm really glad you're here. Let's go ahead and open our service with prayer as we focus on God this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather, to worship you, to grow in our knowledge of what you have for us. Lord, fill us with the Holy Spirit this morning. Help us to understand your word and how to apply it in our life. Please be with Johnny and the musicians as they elevate you this morning. Help us all to become more like Jesus Christ today. We ask all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together, continue singing, worshiping the Lord through song by singing out, My hope is in the Lord. My hope is in the
Aren't you thankful for that truth this morning? That we have the gospel plan given to us through the hope of Jesus Christ. And it really emphasizes the truth of this next song. The fact that God is good. And that Jesus' goodness has been imparted on us through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the gospel message. The fact that we get to enjoy his amazing robes of righteousness is because he is good. And if we think about all the times that we have the potential throughout our week of people just forgetting about us, pushing us off to the side, the fact that we don't have dependability in this world is quite obvious. But the dependability that we have in the goodness of Jesus is amazing. That's who we have in our Savior. He is hope. Not I hope it will happen, but a guaranteed steadfastness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's sing this out. The goodness of Jesus. Come, you weary heart, now to Jesus. Come, you anxious soul, now and see. There is perfect love and comfort in your tears. Rest here in his wondrous peace. Oh, the goodness, the goodness of Jesus. Satisfied, he is all that I need. May it become what may that I rest all my day in the goodness of Jesus. Come find what this world cannot offer. Come and find your joy here complete. Taste the living water, never thirst again. Rest here in his wondrous Find your hope now in Jesus. He is all he said he would be. Grace is overflowing from the Savior's heart. Rest here in his wondrous peace. Oh, the goodness, the goodness of Jesus. Satisfied. He is all that I need. May it become what that I rest all my days in the goodness of Jesus. May it become what that I rest all my days in the what you're dealing with today, but I'm, I'm so excited about what God is. The fact that as we prepare to hear from his words today, we're focusing on this theme, the fact that God never sleeps. 
And what that means is we have a God who's always there with us, is conscientious of our problem, and not only knows about it, but knows the solution, and that we can depend on him. He is faithful and he is good. Psalm 121, 7 and 8 reads, The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. What a dependable God that we serve. We're going to sing this next song. The worship team is going to sing the first verse in the chorus to kind of teach it a little bit. But I want you to listen. Understand the words. Then we'll have you join us on the second verse. I lift my eyes and see I need not be afraid All my help comes from the Lord Who the earth and sky has made He will keep you from all evils Behind you Through this journey from now and evermore. Sing that first verse with us. I lift my eyes and see. I need not be afraid. All my help comes from the Lord. Who the earth God has made. He will keep you from all evils behind you and before. He will sustain you through this journey from now and evermore. The My step he has ordained for the one who holds the night. Sing it out. Is the sovereign of my day. He will keep you from all evils behind you and before. He will sustain you through this All right, thank you this morning. That's three great songs of worship that we were able to participate in this morning. Before we turn to Psalm 121 and consider what the Word of God has for us 
this morning. Thank you, Jeremy, and your team for leading us today. This morning, we're going to continue in our series, The Albums of Worship. And essentially, what we've been doing over the the course of this last year is looking at theology, what we can know and understand about the character and the works of God through the Psalms. And we want to see who God is and what our response as God's people is to do in response to what we read. And of course, we know that that right response is to lift him up, lift up the name of our Savior and God. This morning we're going to look at Psalm 121. We're going to study this theme that our God is sleepless. Now perhaps it's interesting and slightly ironic and certainly not planned that we are considering this topic on Time Change Sunday where perhaps we're considering the fact that God is sleepless after most of us have had a little extra rest ourselves. Many of us have done different things and perhaps you do certain routines in your life to get a better night's sleep. Maybe you turn on a fan, maybe you turn up the heat, Uh, perhaps you use some sort of scent or oil to help you relax, maybe you take a bath, perhaps you turn off your electronics early in the evening, or perhaps you are one of the 15% of all Americans who uses a device to track and rate the quality of your sleep. Now, recently I read an article about what the best position to sleep in, whether it's on your back, your front, your sides. Unfortunately, the article was inconclusive. So if you're wondering, there's nothing else to be said about that other than if you twist yourself up, you're more likely to have back pain in the morning. I think we would all understand and know that. But perhaps you sleep best under certain conditions. Maybe you need to have undertaken a physically tiring week. Perhaps you had to stay up late the night before. Maybe you need a comfortable chair. Perhaps you need a warm setting. And maybe most of all, you need all those things and a preacher thrown into the mix as well to help you get a good sleep. Now, if there's you this morning, take encouragement from the scriptures and a warning. Uh, a young man in the book of Acts did fall asleep during a church service where the Apostle Paul was preaching. And that's as far as the encouragement goes. Um, Unfortunately, bad things happen if you fall asleep in church. This man fell out the window. And I'm not the Apostle Paul, so I'm not going to be able to resurrect you this morning either. So stay with me as we consider this topic, or God is sleepless. Turn with me to Psalm 121 this morning as we read. God's word. It says, I lift up mine eyes onto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which maketh or made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Let's pray this morning as we turn to God's word. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to Uh, gather in your house, Lord. We are thankful that we can be here, and we are thankful for your word 
uh, and the truth even in this small and short little psalm, Lord, that uh, can encourage us in our walk and in our journeys through life. Lord, we pray this morning as we consider these truths that your spirit would lead and, Lord, that you would impress upon each one in here their need for you and their need to uh, engage in the rest and the provisions that you have made for us. Lord, we ask as we study your word that you would help us uh, to be focused and have clarity in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning I want to give you a little bit of the context of this psalm because really this psalm finds itself in a little collection of psalms right in the middle of the book of Psalms itself, really from Psalm 120 right through to Psalm 134. These 15 psalms are kind of grouped together as a group that we would perhaps call the Psalms of Ascent. Within these 15 psalms, there are four of them that are attributed to David, King David. One is attributed to Solomon, and the other ten are listed as unnamed. Perhaps you see the phrase, a song of degrees written, or the song of ascent written above some of these psalms within your Bible. But really, even though these other ten are unnamed, many scholars believe that these psalms are actually attributed or collected and assembled by King Hezekiah. And all of these psalms are written with a similar thing in mind. They're all written about the idea of trusting God in the midst of life. Whether there's trouble, whether there's difficulty, whether there's sin, whether there's complex situations, and yet worshipping God for who he is and resting in him. We're not going to go into detail about King Hezekiah, but if you were to look in Isaiah chapter 37, you'll see exactly where King Hezekiah was when he is said to have assembled these 15 Psalms together. He was deathly ill and ready to die. He was surrounded by the Assyrians in Jerusalem. The Assyrians had just defeated the ten tribes of the north, and now they had come to Jerusalem. And yet we find that Hezekiah is still trusting and still worshipping and resting in God. Some have even gone as far to suggest that the 15 Psalms here, the reason why there are 15 of them is because Hezekiah grouped these 15 together to represent each year of additional life that was granted to him by the Lord as he recovered from his illness. But really later on in Jewish tradition and Jewish history, um, this group of 15 psalms became known as the Songs of Ascent or perhaps the Songs of Degrees or maybe you've heard them referred to as the Pilgrim Psalms. The idea here is that these 15 psalms were sang by pilgrims who ascended three times a year on their journey up to Jerusalem. Now, if you know anything about the geography of Jerusalem, you'll know that essentially any way to get to Jerusalem was up. So again, that name, the Songs of Ascent, sang on the way up to Jerusalem. The pilgrims would go three times a year in particular to worship at these Jewish festivals and feasts. And while this is not the original context of the Psalms, let's consider the way that they were used. You see, they experienced similar things as they journeyed to take time for rest, to go and worship God, as what Hezekiah was experiencing as well. They had to trust God in the midst of their life and stop what they were doing and intentionally rest and worship in God. 
Now that might beg the question, well, why did these Jewish pilgrims go up to Jerusalem? Well, of course, the Old Testament law tells us and commanded them to do so. They, they were meant to travel for three festivals a year. And it tells us that three times a year, every Jewish male and his family was meant to travel up to Jerusalem. This is outlined in Deuteronomy 16, Exodus 23, Exodus 34, if you want to read those things in more detail. And we won't take the time for that this morning. But what I want you to notice is these three festivals that they were meant to stop everything and intentionally go and worship God at and rest and what these festivals were. First of all was the Feast of the Passover, uh, which typically happened in the springtime of the Jewish year. Um, and really the, the idea behind the Passover festival or celebration was to remember how God had brought the people out of Egypt. It was a time where they were not allowed to work and it was a time for intentional rest and worship of God. And by t- partaking in this festival, the people were trusting in God's power to deliver them. The second festival they had to go to was the Feast of Weeks, which we now know as the Feast of Pentecost, and that happened in early summertime. And essentially the point of this feast was that they would go, they would give thanks to God for the provisions of what they had just harvested out of that season. It was a time for no work. The work was done. There was a time for rest. And by partaking in this festival, they were showing that they were trusting in God's provision. The final feast that they were Uh, mandated, so to speak, to go to, according to the Old Testament law, was the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Really, the purpose of this feast was they were meant to go and live in a hut or a tent and remember the time that they sojourned in the wilderness and how God preserved them in the wilderness and brought them into the promised land. Again, this was a time, a festival, where they were not allowed to do any work, and it was intentionally set aside for rest and worship. By partaking in this festival, the Jews would have reflected their trust in God's preservation. Now, interestingly, Jesus, as a Jew himself, he actually attended these feasts as well. Of course, we don't see that he attended every time in the gospel because we don't have enough information, but certainly it is included numerous times in the gospel that Jesus went to Jerusalem to participate in these feasts. In Luke chapter 2, verses 41 and 42, we see that Jesus traveled as a 12-year-old with his parents. It says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. In John chapter 2, when Jesus is a grown man, um, Jesus is in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. And of course, we see that event where he flips the money changers' tables. That is surrounding the events of Passover. And then in John chapter 19, we see again that Jesus is in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. But this Passover was different because this Passover was the Passover when Jesus Christ himself would become the Passover lamb in Jerusalem. But I want you to see that partaking in these feasts, in these festivals, meant you had to do certain things in order to worship God. You had to put aside your work and intentionally engage in rest and worship. 
Psalm 122, verse 1, which is another one of the Psalms of Ascent, suggests that this is a good thing to do. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. But it did mean you had to set other things aside. I want you to imagine these pilgrims, they had to travel away from home, they had to undertake a difficult journey, and the whole point of that was to worship and rest. Ironically, engaging in rest took a little bit of work, it took some faith, it took some trust in God, and it also meant they had to go out of their way to do it. That's a lot of groundwork perhaps this morning, but I want you to look at me with this psalm, Psalm 121, with these things in mind. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, I lift up mine eyes onto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. I want you to imagine these pilgrims as they're journeying along on their way to Jerusalem to partake in these feasts. And no matter what direction they're coming from, they're ascending up into Jerusalem. They would have traveled through the Judean hills, and they would have seen many other mountains, many other hills around about them. Back in Israel's history, other mountaintops, other places were typically associated with false gods, other places of worship that were not set aside for the worship of God. Whereas Mount Zion, the mountain that Jerusalem is upon, was the place that a Jew was prescribed to go to worship God. Psalm 199 verse 9 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. So there's a sense here in which the psalmist is saying, My help does not come from the other hills. It doesn't come from all these other places that I'm walking through. It doesn't come from their false gods. It doesn't come from idols. It doesn't even come from nature or creation itself. My help comes from the Lord, who is the owner and the maker of everything and is greater than everything that I can see. Psalm 123, again, another Psalm of Ascent, verse 1 gives us a little more perspective on this. It says, Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. You see, these pilgrims, as they were traveling, they were not looking at the other hills for help. They were lifting their eyes onto the one who was above all these hills in heaven and seeing him as their source of power and preservation. But the purpose of what these Psalms were doing, where they were going, was to worship God. And God was greatly superior to anything else. He was their source of help. Look at Psalm 125 again, a Psalm of Ascent, something they would have sang as they were traveling. It says that they trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. By the way, aren't you glad that we today can trust in the same powerful God as these gods and and these pilgrims? And are you also glad that you don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship God today? Aren't you glad that we can do that here in Wixom? You see, the location was really important for the Jew according to the law. But look in John chapter 4 and what Jesus says about this. The Samaritan woman comes to Jesus and she's asking Jesus, where is the right place to worship God? You see, the Samaritans worshipped in one mountain and yet the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem. And this woman is confused. She says, I want to worship God 
I think you're a prophet from God. Can you tell me where the right place to worship is? And look what Jesus says unto her. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain, speaking of where they were, nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. But the hour cometh and nigh is when true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Aren't you glad this morning that we can worship God wherever we are? There's no pilgrimages necessary to worship God. And for all of those of you who like to camp, I'm sorry, there's no tents necessary either. But the question is not where will you worship, but who or what are you going to take time to intentionally worship this morning? Like these pilgrims had to lay aside their work, they had to lay aside the busyness of their life to physically go to Jerusalem to worship God. The question is, are we going to take the time to set things aside to intentionally rest and worship the Lord? I want to encourage you this morning that that is the right response. And I want to show you from the rest of this psalm why that is the case. Look at verses 3 through 6 and you'll see the Lord's provision, the provision that God makes for us to be able to rest and worship him. Verse 3 says, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee shall not slumber, or will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. There's three things here, and I'm going to give you them all right now, um, and we'll come back to them. But there's three things that the Lord provides for his people to participate in rest, and they are stability, sleep, and shade. And we're going to flesh those out in a moment, but there's one thing that makes all of this possible, all of these provisions possible for the believer, and that's the fact that our God is sleepless. You see, twice in our reading this morning, we see this idea that God doesn't slumber, God doesn't sleep. Twice we see not slumbering, once not sleeping. And to give a a biblical definition of slumbering, it's kind of like what some of us are tempted to do on a Sunday morning. We're half awake, we're half asleep, we're not paying attention. If someone made a loud noise, it would make you jump out of your seat. If you're perhaps truly asleep, maybe that wouldn't affect you at all. The idea here is that God doesn't do either of these things. God is alert. He is awake. He is paying attention. He doesn't slumber and he doesn't sleep. You see, God is not like humans who are finite. In Nahum chapter 3 and verse 18, the leaders of the city of Nineveh are described this way. Uh, Nahum says, thy shepherds slumber. In other words, the people that are meant to be looking after this city in the event of an attack, they're going to be asleep. They're going to be slumbering on the night when that city will fall. You see, God is not like that. And that should have major implications in the lives of our believer or us as believers. One commentator put it this way. I thought this was really helpful. Because our God is sleepless, the Father's eyes are upon me. Because our God is sleepless, my Father's presence is beside me. 
And because our God is sleepless, the Father's care is round about me. And that all begs the question, if God has made these provisions by not going to sleep and being our keeper, then we ought to trust him with the things that keep us up at night. You see, if God is trustworthy over the things of life, and that's the subject that we're going to consider next week, we must trust God to take care of our temporal needs. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about this. He talks about not worrying, even about the necessities of life, because your Father knows that you have need of these things. Rather, Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God. He says, Seek God first. His work is more important than even worrying yourself about the temporal needs that you need on this earth. But I want to look at these three provisions that God makes for us and has made possible for us to be able to rest and worship him by him not sleeping. The first is the provision of stability. He says, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. A few weeks ago, we looked at the characteristic of God where we considered that God is a rock. Um, Again, in the New Testament, we see Jesus described as a cornerstone, a foundation, a stable place on which to build your life. And because we can build on our God who is sleepless, then we can have stability, we can have peace, we can have rest. The second one, we'll consider this a little further this morning, is the provision of sleep. Um, The scriptures reference this quite a bit, actually. The Psalms, in particular, talk about sleeping more than perhaps you think. Uh, And before you're active to put that application into effect this morning, uh, let's look at a couple of them together. I'm sorry, I've got to use all my sleeping jokes while we're focusing on a message like this. But whether the problems that you face in your life are caused by the sin or the trouble of others. Look at Psalm 6, verse 6. It says, David's saying, I am weary with groaning. All the night I make my bed to swim. I water my couch with tears. In other words, what David's saying is, I can't sleep. I'm crying. I'm awake. I cannot rest. And yet, we look at David's response. Psalm 4, he says, Stand in awe, sin not, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. If you're doing those things, David starts to move along in that psalm and he says, put your trust in the Lord. And then at the end of the psalm, David is able to go to sleep. He says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep for thy Lord only makest me dwell in safety. You see, whether it's the sin of others or the trouble of situations that you find yourself Uh, engage with, or perhaps even problems caused by your own sin that take away from your ability to sleep. Uh, Psalm 127 puts it this way. Solomon says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to stay up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Many of us are tempted, perhaps, to go this route in our, in our modern context that we want to burn the candle at both ends in the pursuit of more things, whether it's more time, whether it's more money, more resources, even more entertainment. Yet Solomon says it's being to do that. You're eating the bread of sorrow by doing that, and that God giveth his beloved sleep. So I want to encourage you, trust the Lord with his provision of sleep that he has given to us. 
Be like David in Psalm 3 where he says, I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. Keep it in mind that the Lord is sleepless and he has given you the provision of sleep. You see, going to sleep is kind of like a trust exercise. You have to acknowledge your finiteness. You have to acknowledge that you are humble uh, in, 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 and, and weak in, in comparison to God. Um, you have to trust in God's provision, both physically and for the things that you forsake sleep for. And if you wear your sleep or not not sleeping or not resting like a badge of honor, you might want to check whether or not that's making you proud and self-sufficient and whether or not you're ignoring one of the provisions that God has made for you to be able to rest. The third provision that God makes for us is the provision of shade, verses 5 and 6. Uh, I want to explain this a little bit, uh, just so that we have a right understanding of what a shade is. But literally, the idea of a shade is a defense or a shadow. Perhaps you've seen a mom with a young child at the park, and it's a beautiful sunny day with not a cloud in sight, and yet she's using an umbrella to shade the child. The idea is protecting that child from the sun, not necessarily the rain. And this is, this is the way this phrase is used here. A shade, a defense, a shadow over you. And, per, and you see here, there's a reference to the sun by day. There's a reference to the moon and night. And the idea is here not that the pilgrims wouldn't get sunburned on their ascent up to Jerusalem, but it was implying that God's hand of protection was upon these people day and night. This same word is used in Numbers 14 whenever the spies come back with their report and Joshua and Caleb speak and they say, Rebel ye not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense or their shade is departed from them. And the Lord, his defense, his shade is with us. Fear them not. So the question is, are you going to trust in the Lord's provision of these three things, his stability, his, the sleep, and the provision of shade, and set aside the time that those things allow you to do to rest and worship in him? I encourage you that if you do this and you trust the Lord with these provisions each day, you'll probably find that you have more time to rest and more time to worship God and more things to be thankful to the Lord for. Our final point this morning is the Lord's preservation in verses 7 and 8. It says, The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Earlier we spoke about God's provision in our lives for our temporal needs, the provisions he makes for stability, shade, and sleep. And here we see that God also extends, his power extends to preserve us for our eternity. What are those things that he preserves us for according to these verses? He preserves us from evil, he preserves our soul, and he preserves us for all time for eternity. It really has always been part of God's plan that mankind find their rest in him. You see, rest is not just a frivolous kind of wasting of time. It's not scrolling on a device. It's not Netflixing. It's not being lazy. But it's heavily connected to this idea of worshiping God. 
Look at rest and the way God designed things in Genesis chapter 2, the created order, the seventh day. This is what God did. God ended his work and rested. And in keeping with that thought this morning, I want you to think that even though God doesn't slumber or sleep, he intentionally built into the created order for man this necessity to take time to rest and worship. We see that again in the Ten Commandments. Um, Exodus 20 tells us, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy, ser- nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Again, we see in the created order, we see reiterated in the Ten Commandments, we see in the Jewish feasts and the festivals intentional times and periods of rest prescribed by God for the Jewish people. And then we also see it in the example of Jesus himself in the Gospels. We see in his human form that Jesus was finite like us. He needed regular time away to rest and worship and pray. And we will see that in our next series. We will see actually how many times Jesus intentionally takes time away to rest and to prepare to minister unto others. And while it's not a direct command that we keep the Sabbath the way the Jews did, there's great wisdom in following the example that God has set forth and what Jesus has set forth here in taking intentional time each week and setting aside for rest and worship of God. I want you to look at the end of the matter here as well. What happens from this point on? 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7, Paul is writing and he says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. One day Jesus Christ is going to come back and those who trust him and follow him are going to be able to enter into eternal rest. Revelation 14 talks about those who do not trust Christ, who follow someone else, who worship someone other than Christ, and look and see what it says about them. Revelation 14:11, And they, those who do not uh, worship the Lord, have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. You see, ultimate rest, eternal rest, is only ever found in the person of Jesus Christ. You can take all the vacations you want. You can take all the days off that you want. You can do everything you could possibly think of to try and relax. But what you will find is that the ultimate and eternal rest that is necessary for your soul is only found in Jesus Christ. You see, this is why Jesus came and died on the cross. This is why we, uh, he died so that we could be set free from the bondage of our sin so that we might be able to obtain rest both here and now in the temporal things that God has provided for us but also eternally with him. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 11, this powerful verse and phrase, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my burden is easy, or my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. As we conclude this morning, I want, I mentioned tracking your sleep in the introduction. I want to ask you three questions as we close to help you track the quality of your rest this morning. Here's the first question. Do you trust or sleepless God with every area of your life and regularly set things aside intentionally to worship and rest on him? The second question I would ask you is, do you thankfully utilize the temporal provisions that God has given you to rest, the provisions of stability upon him and his word, the provision of sleep, the provision of shade and protection from the Lord? And the third question is, do you regularly remind yourself and exercise that eternal rest is only found in God? I encourage you this week to remember that because our God is sleepless, we don't always have to be awake and in control. Rest in him and allow that rest to inspire your worship. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you most of all for your son. Lord, we thank you that we can come unto him, that, Lord, we can cast our burdens at his feet, Lord, and that his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your provisions, both here and now and in eternity. And Lord, we pray as we go that you would help us to intentionally take time this week to rest and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we close today. Sing out a great psalm emphasizing of God's faithfulness. God brought out his people with a strong and mighty hand, took them out of slavery to behold the promised land. Mountains fled before them, and the seas turned back and ran, and they saw that he was good. God is From the bondage of our sin, tasting of his kindness, we cannot go back again. Leads us through the desert to the rivers of his grace, working all things for our good. God is
We have known your mercy and your love as in the past. If days of fuel or many, you will guide us to the last. You have said it, we believe in every promise holding fast. For we know that you are good. God is faithful to his promise. He is with us. He is with us. God is faithful. God is faithful to most important thing our church can communicate with you is the gospel message. The word gospel means good news. The trouble with most good news is that it isn't really good until you see it relative to bad news. The discovery of a new cure isn't all that helpful unless you or a loved one has the disease that it cures. In the same way, the good news of Jesus is good when it is understood in relation to the bad news of our own sin. We are all sinners. That's the disease we are all born with. And Jesus is the cure. The good news that everyone can live forever with God in heaven, not because of anything we can do, but because of what Jesus did in our place. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The truth that everyone, everywhere, at all times in history needs to hear is that salvation is only possible by putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Would you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? Would you be willing to pray something like this and mean what you pray from your heart? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can do nothing to earn forgiveness and make myself right with you. Instead of dying for my own sins, I want to trust Christ and his death on the cross as payment for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my way and make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. The Bible tells us that those that repent from their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in this way shall be saved. Would you believe on him today? And if you did trust Christ today, if you did pray a prayer like the one suggested a moment ago and you really meant it, would you let us know? We want to help you grow in your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you have more questions about putting your faith in Christ and we have great resources to help you with that. The Exchange Bible Study is a four-week study on the character of God that will answer most of your questions about the gospel. We have men and women ready and waiting to go through that with you in person or virtually, depending on your situation. 
Maybe you put your faith in Christ today, or, or maybe you did years ago, but you feel like you've not grown in your faith. We want to help you with that as well. We have literally hundreds of helpful resources and dozens of believers ready to walk with you through them. Let us know how we can best encourage your journey of faith in Christ using one of the contact methods listed below. Jesus Christ loves you and wants to spend eternity with you. May God bless you as you seek to live your life for His honor and for His glory.